Welcome to the Happy Hearted Kids podcast. This is Renee Kashmiri, owner of Thrive Child Development Services in Newton, Massachusetts. On episode five, we're going to be talking all things peer conflict. Whether you have or work with young children, teenage children, or any age in between, peer conflict is likely a fairly regular reality in your child's world. Today, we're going to talk about what peer conflict is and what practices you can start to implement in your home or classroom to support this tricky part of your child's social development. Hey friends, welcome back. I am so happy to be back here with you all. Um, We had a break in podcasting last week thanks to a particularly busy few days for my family and I, so I'm so excited to be back in this space with you this week for episode five. And today we're talking peer conflict. And so before diving into strategies for supporting your child, I think it's really important that we actually define what peer conflict is because it's often confused with bullying. And so in recent years, essential and important awareness around bullying has really increased, which has been amazing and amazing support for kids in schools and outside of schools. Um, However, One drawback to this is that in our sort of hyper awareness of bullying, we're often seeing that natural, healthy, expected peer conflict is being overlabeled as bullying. So to get us started, I want to just clarify. It is completely 100% absolutely expected, normal, and common for children to disagree, to fight, and to experience conflict in peer relationships. This is a natural element of all relationships, regardless of our age in life. It's natural and healthy to argue, to disagree, to experience conflict in our lives. So while this might not necessarily be pleasant, um, it's the reality of having trusting, open, honest relationships that sort of push us to take risks and be brave and have confidence. So before we really um, get into the details of strategies, um, as opposed to bullying, I wanted to clarify that peer conflict is defined as mutual disagreement or hostility between peers or peer groups. And it's characterized by the involvement of people with equal or similar levels of power in the relationship. It probably occurs only occasionally. Um, It's unplanned and it doesn't involve intentional violence, cruelty, or an attempt to control another person. In everyday life, this probably looks like two children wanting to play with the same toy. Um, or older children disagreeing over how to spend their weekend or who to hang out with. Um, Maybe in the teenage years, kids disagreeing over someone starting to date and another person who's not ready to date, things like that. Um, Even as adults, this might look like a disagreement with your spouse about how to manage your money or what time the kids go to bed. Um, And so while these are all, of course, hurdles to overcome in our relationships, they're ultimately healthy and inevitable elements to existing as social beings, and they don't involve intentional malice or an abuse of power. Bullying, on the other hand, is defined as unwanted aggressive behavior involving an abuse of real or perceived power between children, whether this be physical power or social power. So this could look like sort of the quote-unquote popular kids 
showing kind of consistent and intentional aggression towards someone with less social power than them. Um, or it could quite literally mean a physically larger child intimidating a physically smaller child. Um, and so unlike some of the developmentally appropriate peer conflicts that we can come to expect as sort of a natural and healthy element of childhood, bullying typically involves purposeful cruelty and is often may not always be, but is often repeated frequently over time. And so while peer conflict is something we want to encourage our kids to develop the skills to ultimately navigate on their own, bullying will almost always require the intervention of a safe and trusted adult because of this gap in power that's present between the children in the scenario. So the main thing to keep in mind about bullying is that it's defined by a clear abuse of power and it's rooted in purposeful cruelty or ill will. Um, this is not the same thing as peer conflict. It's not the same thing as um, arguments that stem between children um, just because there are, is a difference in perspective between two people. So today we'll be talking about peer conflict. So all of the suggestions are going, as, going to assume that the situation in question doesn't involve an abuse of power or bullying of any kind um, because bullying is really a separate issue with a completely separate set of suggestions for how to handle it properly. And so as we talk about peer conflict, I think it's important to first understand that so often as parents teachers, other adults in a child's life, it can be so tempting to jump in and get involved and to try to solve the problem for them. And above all else, barring an incident that qualifies as bullying or an incident where your child is being severely hurt, um, the main point that I want you to take away from this podcast is to try to resist this urge. Um, our impulse is to try to protect our children. But ultimately, mediating peer conflict for them instead of sort of with them or through them, if we're talking about guiding them through some of this, um, really robs them of honing important social-emotional skills like problem-solving, empathizing, handling disappointment, and responding to the effects of hurt feelings. Um, these are all realities of the world and of being social beings, and we ultimately wanna increase our children's competence and abilities to handle these situations on their own as they progress through their social and emotional development. Um, and if we sort of swoop in and do it for them, it really robs them of the opportunity to practice this. So all of that being said, what do I do? One of my children or students enters my home or classroom and tells me that they got in a fight with one of their peers. They're probably really frustrated, sad, hurt, angry, and they're probably unsure of how to handle the situation. So what can I do to support my child's competence in managing these inevitable parts of childhood? And I have a few ideas for how to help guide them through these tricky moments in life. Some of them are more specific and some of them are going to be sort of a little more general and a little more broad because so much of what we teach our kids about how to manage conflict doesn't actually occur in the moment of conflict itself. It often occurs in our sort of day-to-day -day, uh, um, interactions with our kids and what we model for them. So number one, the most fundamental in helping your child to navigate this is to help your child learn how to handle big feelings. One of the most common themes of peer conflict 
is escalated emotions for all parties involved. Um, Our kids are probably feeling hurt, angry, sad, maybe betrayed, or any other variety of strong emotions about a conflict with a peer. The first thing that we can do to help our kids navigate peer conflict is to acknowledge and validate that their feelings have a place and that they're entitled to any and all emotions they may be feeling. And ultimately, to allow them to explore practices that help them manage these emotions. So for some children, this might mean taking time alone to reflect. For others, it might mean writing. Um, Still for others, it might mean like pouring all of their energy into a project or a task. So create a space in which your kids are allowed to feel whatever it is they may be feeling. And then help them explore options for frustration management. Um, Because ultimately, our kids can't make thoughtful, logical, rational decisions about how to respond to a complicated social situation when they're in that heightened state of emotion. And they're much more likely to make decisions that could be destructive or harmful to their peer relationships if they're acting from this place of escalation. So the first step in helping your child navigate peer conflict is helping them to navigate their own big emotions so that they can address the situation from a calm, thoughtful place. Um, So explore this with your child and explore different things that they can do to sort of help them bring those emotions down and come back into their body and ground themselves into the moment. This is going to look different for all children. So explore with your individual child what works. Secondly, and somewhat tied, is let your child talk and genuinely listen. Um, How many of us process difficult decisions or complex scenarios by talking it out? Maybe not all of us, but a very large many of us probably do. Our kids are no different. So let your kids talk out what happened, how they feel, how they imagine their peers may be feeling how they are interpreting what's going on around them. Um, Give them that space to get it off their chest. And here's the important part. Listen. Genuinely listen. It's so tempting as adults to feel like we know the answer already, and so we're going to interject. Avoid interrupting to sort of, quote-unquote, play devil's advocate or to try to rationalize a peer's behavior Um, or to really rationalize anything with your child in this moment because, again, they probably still are in a slightly heightened emotional state and it's probably going to fall on, you know, I don't like using the phrase deaf ears necessarily, um, but it's likely going to not have a ton of impact on your child if they're in that state. So, um, you know, save that part for later. That part will come. First and foremost, just listen and empathize. So often we come to the right solution on our own when we're given the space to verbalize our thought process and adequately vent the emotions that are getting in the way of our ability to rationalize to someone. So encourage your child to talk about what's happening and really resist that urge to correct them. Or um, this is another point, this is definitely not the moment to police your child's language or feelings. So We all use language when we are frustrated that we probably wouldn't use when we were calm. Um, And if in the middle of 
just as adults, if in the middle of venting something to your friend or your spouse or your coworker or someone else, they stopped you to tell you that your language was inappropriate, that it would be very unlikely that that would help you get to a more regulated place um, or that it would help you to come up with a solution. So, you know, again, this is not the time to sort of police your child's language or feelings. Let them talk and genuinely listen. And then number three is to model empathy and perspective taking. Now, this is a two-part point because we want to be modeling empathy and perspective taking to our children in lots of different scenarios, not only when we're experiencing a conflict. So, you know, we model this by how we speak about our friends and family, how we treat people who may be struggling, um, and who we include in our quote-unquote circle of care, or in other words, who we choose to care about. So ask yourself as a parent, like, does my, or a teacher, um, you know, does your circle of care extend to your neighbors? Does it extend to the barista at your local coffee shop? Does it extend to strangers on the street? These are questions to consider when modeling empathy and perspective taking for our kids in our day-to-day lives um, is who do your children see you modeling care for? Um, Is it only limited to people of your social status or people within your family? Or is your circle of care, um, does your circle of care extend um, to a fairly wide net to include empathizing with many different people with lots of different perspectives? Um, So that's a thing to ask yourself in terms of generally modeling empathy and perspective taking. But the second part of this point is that we also want to model empathy and perspective taking when our child is experiencing conflict. So once our kids have had adequate space to feel, talk, vent, and sort of re-regulate their emotions, we can begin to pose some gentle reflective questions for them. So, you know, things like, gee, like how do you think the other kid was feeling when this conflict occurred? Or... I wonder what your friend might have been worried about when they did that. Um, Or even sort of relating it back to the child. So, you know, something like, you know, usually when I treat someone in a way that isn't kind, it's because there's something else bothering me. Do you think it's possible that your friend was already feeling upset about something? Um, Or like, I wonder if maybe your friend could have been distracted by something else. Do you ever get distracted by things that make it hard for you to be kind or understanding? And so these are questions that avoid shaming or judging your child or seeming like you're taking sides, but will push our children to think about what another person's perspective may be in the midst of conflict. Um, Ultimately, being able to see another person for who they are and being able to understand the emotions behind frustrating behaviors is an important step in perspective taking that allows our children to make amends and find solutions to their conflict. Another reality of of pure conflict is that um, it is almost always rooted in a misunderstanding between kids. There are always two perspectives um, and there are always emotions on both sides that are fueling behaviors. And so helping our kids get to a place where they can understand this and perspective take is an important step in helping them um, problem solve. And so number four is sort of similar to my to 
number three. It is, it's the idea of modeling and encouraging genuine apologies. So similarly to the last point, this is ultimately something that we want to be modeling for our kids in many more contexts than simply during a conflict that they're having. And I think there's an important clarification to be made around the way we encourage kids to apologize. Forcing or requiring a child to apologize does very little to teach our children genuine remorse or restoration. So ultimately saying to a child, say you're sorry, or you need to go apologize to your sister, when they don't genuinely feel sorry, doesn't teach them the concept of making amends for hurt they may have caused. It really just teaches them to comply with a set of social norms that the adults around them have deemed important. Um, so pushing a child to make an ingenuine apology will really do very little um, to truly resolve a pure conflict. The most powerful thing that we can do as adults to encourage our children to adopt the practice of genuine thoughtful apologies is just to model them ourselves. So apologize to your child or your students when you make a mistake. Let your child see you apologize to your partner, your parent, your sibling, your friends, your coworkers in a genuine way when you've done something to cause harm. When we apologize to our children, we normalize the inevitability of making mistakes and provide a model for them for how to repair harm. So, you know, often we hesitate to do this because I find that a lot of adults sort of um, will verbalize that there is this fear that admitting our own faults will make our children respect us less. And really the opposite is true. If there's one thing that kids universally appreciate, it's the willingness to be genuine. When we model apologies, we're signaling to our kids that making mistakes is a normal and expected outcome in life. And they, just like us, have the capacity to restore situations in which they've caused harm. Um, the more we model this for them in our everyday interactions, the more likely they are to internalize the importance of genuine apologies in moments of conflict. Um, it is very common in moments of conflict that apologies are appropriate and possibly necessary by one or both parties. Um, because the nature of a conflict often means that there is a misunderstanding and that there was likely some amount of hurt or harm caused by both parties. So all of that being said, if you feel like your child likely owes a peer an apology and they're just not quite there yet, you don't necessarily want to um, say something like, you need to apologize, or first thing tomorrow morning you go to school and you apologize, because it's really just pushing them to do something that they're not prepared to do yet, um, and that really doesn't teach them how to internalize remorse. So instead, you can kind of gently guide them in this direction without emphasizing compliance. So a simple kind of like, you know, it sounds to me like at some point you probably owe so-and-so an apology, I know you're not ready for that yet, and that's okay, but when you are, I'm sure they would appreciate hearing it. Um, and so that is, um, you know, a, a more gentle way of kind of guiding your child towards that decision because sometimes our kids might need a little push. Sometimes it can be hard to apologize. It takes a lot of courage and bravery and, and vulnerability and willingness to admit that you're wrong in order to apologize. And so your child might need a gentle nudge in that direction, but try um, to use language that is more of like a guidance in the right direction than, you know, an outright or... Um, you know, an outright directive because um, really directives just reinforce compliance. 
And so apologizing brings me to my fifth point, which is to help your child brainstorm solutions. Sometimes this solution might involve an apology. Sometimes it won't. Um, And so while it's hard for me to give specific examples of solutions in a podcast because the, the nature of conflict is that it's very individualized. It's, it's particular to the children that are experiencing it. It's particular to the exact situation. Um, one idea you may want to consider is role-playing solutions with your child. So take on the role, to, uh, the role of the other child and act out different solutions with your kids. So let them sort of experiment with a few different ideas until they find the solution that feels the most authentic and most useful in solving their problem. Um, all conflicts are going to require different solutions depending on the exact scenario, but helping your child sort of try on a few options is a great way to help them learn and internalize the skill of problem solving. This is obviously a little bit easier with an older child to sort of role play, but even with a younger child, rather than role playing, you can still offer up suggestions, um, right? So, you know, here's the situation that happened. Here are a few ideas I can think of for how we can resolve this or make this situation better. And you might give the child a couple of, a couple of options and say, hey, do you want to pick one to try? And let them sort of um, play it out that way. So this can also work for younger children. And finally, my last suggestion is something that we often encourage adults to do. But I find we less frequently encourage children to do, and this is teach your child from a young age that it's perfectly acceptable to walk away from a scenario or take some time and space away from someone else if they need to do so in order to protect their mental and emotional energy. So often this is a lesson we learn later in life. Many of us do this as adults where um, either a particular situation or a particular person is really draining our mental or emotional energy and we sort of tap into our empowerment and say, you know what, I need some space right now from this person or from this situation to recharge because I need to protect my own, my own mental and emotional energy. Um, the reality is that if we can empower our children to do this at a much younger age, it becomes a little bit easier for them as they grow up, as they develop, and as they become adults. Ultimately, it's important that our kids learn that they are only responsible for their own feelings and their own actions. And we cannot control or internalize the feelings or actions of another person who isn't ready to make amends yet in a healthy and genuine way. So if your child has tried to navigate the conflict and the other peer, the other child is just not ready to meet them in this place, or if your child just determines, maybe they haven't really um, tried to totally navigate it yet, but your child has just determined that creating some distance from that particular friend or peer or classmate is currently the best solution to their conflict, remind them that it's perfectly okay to walk away. So often kids experience a lot of pressure to maintain social groups and maintain peer relationships um, because of pressure around social status. Um, But remind your kids that it's okay to walk away. I was once guiding two students who were best friends through a conflict when they got into a physical altercation at recess. And of course, it was a misunderstanding, um, but they both were very upset and had very heightened emotions in this moment. 
And so once everyone had had time to sort of calm down, process the situation, and brainstorm solutions, when I asked each of them what they felt they needed to restore the situation, they both responded, I think I need some space from him. Great. What a, that is incredibly empowering um, and incredibly um, self-aware to know that you need that time and space. And so I am their teacher and parents encourage them to do that. Take some space away from each other. That's perfectly okay. Three days later, they paraded into my office telling me that after some time apart, they had ultimately apologized, found a solution, and they were best friends again. So we all need to protect our mental and emotional energy from scenarios and people who may currently be um, something of a toxic presence in our lives, whether this is a peer relationship that's a perpetually damaging um, relationship for your child's well-being or just like momentarily damaging we all, including our children, have the right to walk away from a relationship for however long we need to in order to protect our mental and emotional safety and energy. And so often um, kids know what they need and they might know that they need this space. And so encourage them um, to really internalize that this is okay. And if your child needs this um, in any given scenario, really encourage them to do it. That wraps up our episode this week. I hope that some of these ideas bring you the confidence, comfort, and support that you need to help your kiddos navigate the ups and downs of peer relationships. As always, if you need more support around this topic or have feedback about things you'd like to hear about on the podcast, I am all ears. Thank you, thank you, as always, for being in this incredible space um, where I get to share with you all, and I will catch you guys on our next episode. See you soon. You have been listening to the Happy Hearted Kids podcast with Renee Kashmiri, owner of Thrive Child Development Services in Newton, Massachusetts. For more information on social and emotional resources for your child's development, visit www.thrivecds.org or email Renee at rene at thrivecds.org.